Starting a business is hard all by itself, but starting a business that's never been done before is even harder. In fact, there's no roadmap. There's no coaching program that you can get into. There's no course that's going to give you the A, B, and C steps to get it done the best way. So what do you do if you're trying to get into something that's never been done before? Well, we have the perfect person with us today. Eli Facenda has taken his business from something that's never been done before into a business model that allows him to travel the world and get paid to travel the world. So we're going to dive into how exactly Eli took a business concept that, again, had never been done before, starting from total scratch, trying to get into some of those different coaching programs, trying all the different things that would be typical for an entrepreneur to do, going through all the, the hoops and ladders, and ultimately being in a position, again, to, to get paid to travel the world, which is absolutely incredible, and not to mention turning his real love and passion for travel into a profitable business. So welcome, Eli, the travel guy. Stoked to have you here, man. You're you're uh, not just a, a client of ours, but a friend of mine and, and someone who, you know, I, I love following your journey and I've seen you come so, so far. And, uh, I'm excited for us to dive into your details because I think a lot of people can learn from your experience. Let's just break down where you came from. Um, but I, I think what's so important is just to, to hit, what were those initial thoughts and concerns? Like what, what were you excited about, but also what were you concerned about when you were first getting started? Yeah, it's a great question. And Max, thanks for having me here. And when I was first starting out with this business, you know, it was um, a really interesting time and probably most would say a bad time to launch a travel company. But I had already been in the travel industry for about seven to eight years at this point, running an international sports tour company. So we were taking sports teams all over the world. And I had a blast doing that. And then COVID hit, right? And so I decided to launch this because I knew I had a skill set. I had a desire to create some additional income. And I really also just wanted to test like, what am I actually made of if it's just my own business? Because I had partners in the other company. And so when I first started, the uh, the fears weren't necessarily the same as what many would have when they're starting out, simply because I didn't even have an intention of being like, this is going to be a full-on business with a team and I'm going to go full-time on this. There was zero of that. It was actually just, I have this idea. I have a concept. I have a passion. If I can make an extra 3K a month, an extra 5K a month, an extra 10K a month would be like a dream on top of what I'm currently doing because I really want to have some income that can support my other business, which was the tour company. And so when I first started out, it was really a concern of, am I going to have the time to do this? Am I going to start this and look like an idiot and fail? Is everyone going to tell me this is a bad idea to do this during this, this kind of time period? Like you're launching another travel service during a pandemic. Like that's pretty stupid. Right. And so there was a lot of um, kind of concern around what other people thought. And really just if this was going to be another thing that I was going to start and then not complete and then get to the other side, and be more disappointed that I even took the rest, risk in the first point because I was able or wasn't able to, to complete it fully. And so those were some of the initial hesitations coming into it that uh, that slowed me down to start. But once I kind of broke through some of those, it was uh, it was a much more successful uh, introduction and ramping of the company. That, that's a great point, Eli. I mean, I could relate to that myself, and I know a lot of our uh, viewers watching this, and even you know clients that we work with who are entrepreneurs they oftentimes jump to the result of like, well, what if I fail? Or what if I succeed? You're, you're kind of like jumping to the finish line when most people aren't thinking about what does the race look like? What does that journey look like to even get to that finish line? And how do I get started? Because I think that's really oftentimes the next step that a lot of folks run into is like they convince themselves it's worth it even if I fail or it's, it's worth it because I'm going to make it happen. And then the next step is, well, how do I make it happen now? So, so what were your next steps? What, you know, because I remember this, this, you had your, like you said, you had this type of business running already. 
you already had some income from a, a different source, but now you're looking to a different source. So you're wondering like, is this worth my time? And I, that's when we, you and I started to meet each other actually. And, um, and I remember that, that type of moment in your career where you're like, I don't know how hard I should go into this, but I could tell that you were right on the fence of just going all in. Tell me what were your, talk me through that, that experience. Yeah. It's funny because initially when I first started this, I tried to launch it three times because it's kind of, uh, in a good way, it's a blue ocean and in a bad way, it's a blue ocean, right? So I'm like creating something new and no one had heard of it. So from, you know, the aspect of thinking of how like warm your audience is, no one really knew that much about what I was trying to create. So there wasn't a lot of, uh, easy, warm leads, let's just say, right? So, and getting your first couple of clients is a key to building momentum. So I had a hard time doing that. So I tried to launch this like three times, pretty much failed each time because I was too busy or just didn't work. And I was kind of ready to pack it in. And then I was like, but I want to start something online. Cause I know this is like a smart you know, business model. It seems like there's enough uh, strategies that I can leverage from, you know, teachers and courses and, and, you know, the online gurus and whatever to, to create at least some side income. So I was like, maybe I'll just say, screw it. And I'll build a whole different type of thing. So I thought about doing actually like some sort of video editing. And I thought about doing like lead generation. I, I toyed around with all those. And then where I met you was probably a few months after that, where I'd come back to the whole, Hey, let's teach entrepreneurs how to maximize credit card points. And we were starting to get some traction. We we're starting to get some clients and things were starting to work out a little bit, but I just didn't have any idea how to scale it. And I didn't have any idea of like how long that journey was going to take. So I was really excited about it because I remember landing the first few clients that were really happy, right? They bought easily. They came in, we got them results easily. They were stoked about it. They were sending in referrals and testimonials. And I'm like, this felt way more effortless than anything I've ever done in business. And I'm like, I want more of that because if it felt that easy and they're winning, that's like a home run for everybody. And so I was really excited about it, but I was almost a little bit like, you know, a little bit nervous because I didn't know at what point I was going to then have to have a hard conversation with my other business partners and really figure out like, when do I just want to bet on this rather than double down on what I was currently doing. And so it took a few more months for me to get to the point where we landed. So we retweaked the model and we started landing some really, you know, higher ticket clients. And once we had a couple of those in a single month, I was like, you know, you see multiple, multiple five figures coming in in a, in a given month. I'm like, all right, there's some real legs here. Yeah. And so I kind of took the two train metaphor, which is you don't jump off the first train until the second train is going faster or as fast as the first train. Mm. And so that was important for me because I didn't want to just like full send it and have no plan. So I waited until the second company was really up and running and we were actually generating real money. And I was I was taking some stuff home and then decided to make the jump. That is huge. And that's something that I know a lot of entrepreneurs consider, struggle with. Do I keep this other income? Do I take the two train approach? Do I wait for that to get up to speed or, or to keep going? You know, I'm, I'm actually a different story. I, I didn't have another train. I was just like, F it. Let's go. I'm, maybe I was just, you know, I, I think there's a, a blessing and a curse to being naive and naive as an entrepreneur that, that should I should write a book on that um, because you just don't know what types of mistakes you're going to make what types of problems you're going to encounter but man I, I was that was that an equation that you were playing off of Eli where you were like all right once it gets to this number then I'm going to change or was it more of a feeling was it more of a confidence thing for you because uh, you know, a lot of people struggle with this and this is something that I'm, I'm sure a viewer is somewhat considering how, how sure. Handle that? It was completely a feeling because I had, again, I had no intentions of this becoming a full-time thing. And I didn't, the thoughts didn't cross my mind until I started to see, oh shit, we just did like 60,000 in sales this month. 
and I'm taking home X. I'm like, oh, and I was kind of scared at first because I was like, oh, this is like almost it's exciting and it's awesome. But it was kind of a hard truth to swallow too of like, hmm. shit, I've been building this other company with these guys for like eight years. But if I don't pursue this, I'd be shooting myself in the foot. I'd regret it forever. So it was this kind of challenging place to be almost emotionally because the guys I had started that other company with were, you know, they're really like brothers to me still are. And I still part own it and, and part run it. But from that standpoint, it was a feeling and then it became a little more calculative. It was definitely not off the bat, like some sort of um, thought out, like numbers based plan where it was like these numbers yep. mean this. It was not like that at all. It was very much a feeling first. And I think it's so important for a lot of folks to consider is you don't have to make it in a, an equation. Like <laughs> I know some people live their lives, lives by equations, but uh, I, I certainly didn't. I turned out pretty, pretty good. Uh, I, I think that that type of balance of am I ready to take this full steam is not just a numbers uh, objective factor, but a subjective factor based on your confidence and also discussions, conversations that you're having within the industry. Uh, it might be you doing your market research to understand how big is this industry actually? Like if I wanted to niche down into these specific you know, for example, you have a pretty small niche that you're tapping into, right? Um, th th that specific niche that you're tapping into, how big is it actually? And is that going to be profitable? Is it going to be scalable to get into? Those were not numbers that I was really running at the time. I was running with, I'm making more money than what I was. I'm loving this more than I was. So let's just fucking keep doing that. Then the next phase was, ah, uh, I get to understand more of these numbers. You know, you mentioned like bringing home 60K and you taking home X. That's a that's a really important thing to know is what does that profit margin look like? Maybe for us, we have a service-based service based business, right? A more done-for-you service where we are going to eat a good amount of that, that uh, revenue given the amount of expenses that we need to have in order to fulfill. Now, those expenses will come in waves. For example, when you are... First getting started, you're doing a lot of the work yourself, which means you're putting a lot of time in, but you're also not not giving the money away. That money's coming to you, most likely. And then you hire someone to help you fulfill. Well, there goes a little little more of your profit. You know, and now for us, we have a pretty large team, you know, with, with like a hundred plus people. And when we look at the team, I'm like, well, now it's a scalable model. And I've just ran that model for a long time of like, how much money are we making? When I hire someone, how much more money will we will we be making? Because if I am, you know, hiring Jack, who's our content producer here, if I'm hiring Jack to handle the content production side of things, what can my time be then spent doing? Is it some type of revenue generating task? Is it something that I can be doing to push the needle forward? Because I've run into that mistake. And I don't know about you, Eli, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your hiring process and how you've gone about team structure, whether you have a big team, small team, because just because you have a big team doesn't mean that's a good thing sometimes that's a bad thing um what, what what has been your take what has that journey been like for you in regards to hiring yeah yeah so so off the bat the first thing that comes to mind that i that i heard is like a philosophy early on in my career which i thought was really good and it was like the metaphor like if you're driving in the night you know you can only see as far as your headlights will go but you can drive across the country like that so i kind of took that approach where it's like you don't have to know step 10 to be able to take step two and so i kind of Fortunately, was able to get a little more present with that because it, it allows you to take the next step without having to know exactly long term where you're going to end up. And I think that gives a lot of us the permission we need in order to take the first step in the first place. And so when I started to think about, you know, hiring, it was the same kind of approach. I was like, I don't know what the end result of the team is going to look like, but I do know I definitely need help. 
Mm-hmm. And so the first person I went to, I, I joined Scaling My System. So I had a VA at this point that was massively helpful. And the next person I went to was I got basically another overseas freelancer that was a travel uh, expert that I then trained up on point and had starting to work with some of our clients kind of on a secondary layer to me. And after we had that going and I tested the model on that, I was like, okay, someone else can help with travel. They're getting them good results. That's great. I then decided, okay, I need to find someone who's really going to oversee like all client success that really knows this stuff. And the challenge that I had, because this is like a very blue ocean, this isn't like an accounting service where you can just go find a bookkeeper, right? Someone that went to college and studied accounting, or you can't find another like enrolled agent or CPA or something like that to add to your staff. I had to find a very specialized uh, person that has a really unique skill set. Um, so I had to find someone that was really a points and miles expert, but not just that, someone that was also in a position in their career where they either wanted to grow with something or they're willing to take a risk or they're willing to do something for a certain amount of time and then potentially go full-time because they didn't have enough um, client base to offer a full-time position yet. So once I kind of figured that out, I realized like, okay, I know exactly who I'm looking for. And I went out to these different kinds of communities and started sourcing that. So that took a little bit of, a, of, of time. And I ended up connecting with my now business partner. His name's Tommy Lonergan, absolutely awesome guy. And uh, at that point, he was just trying to grow his business. And I had some more of the business fundamentals already down where you know, I had been running a business for, for years. So I had some of the kind of foundations of how to grow a business in place. And he had really, really, really top level skill set and knowledge in this specific area. And so the two of us kind of came together and I initially brought him on to oversee clients. And I didn't even really think of him as a business partner. I was like, this guy's gonna you know, just do a great job delivering service to everybody. And then you know, mm-hmm. six months in, he was just working really hard. He was providing a ton of value and going way above and beyond like all day, every day, and just was all in. And after a while, I was like, okay, this guy definitely needs to become a part of the team and a part of the ownership group because he's just providing so much and his long-term commitment was there too. And he's just a great guy where values align. So that was some of the genesis of the team where I kind of started slow and then, and then ramped up. So now we have a 15 person team, um, got about six people domestic and then the rest overseas between the Philippines. Um, we have some in Central America, some in Europe and stuff like that too. Crucial, crucial factor in the hiring process there that you just mentioned, Eli, and a lot of people oversee it because they look for those types of virtual assistants, overseas help right off the get go. I think that was a mistake that I made in the very beginning was I, I relied too heavily on those overseas workers where, and, and kind of to your point is like, uh, scaling with systems, for example, they, they'll provide a virtual assistant for you, which is, can be good and can be helpful. But I think one of the things that is a major unlock is when you can afford a domestic, meaning, you know, us based employee who can take it to that next level. The word that you used was over deliver, right? Like giving more value. He was just providing so much to your clients. And that's something that oftentimes happens when you get, we have a lot of people who are also Europe, uh, European based. So, you know, a uh, uh, multiple people from Ireland and England. Uh, you can also find great talent there who speaks fantastic English and are sharp. They get it and they're willing to go above and beyond. What was that journey look like for you as far as, um, you know, when you were considering that, what, what, what kind of timeline do you wish you hired him sooner or hired more of an English US based person sooner? Uh, or do you, do you think you did the right thing or maybe you did it too early? Yeah, I, I was pretty happy with the process of how it went because I basically validated the model in my mind, which was more important than probably the model itself was like my own certainty and confidence that someone else could do something in this business. That's not me. And people would still be happy. 
and I would still deliver results. Right. And so hmm. that was, uh, that was the first step because I think half of the battle for, for all of entrepreneurship really, but specifically with hiring, you know, that idea of letting go of something, it comes with like a, you know, you let it go and you're like, is it going to be okay? And then it's yeah. fine. You're like, okay, I can let go of a little more. And so it was kind of that same sense, but hiring someone domestic, especially if they're going to be full time or there's someone that's got a higher special skill set, you're making a much bigger commitment financially. You know, it's, it's just in your mind as well. I think you're, you're making a bigger commitment to yourself and to the business coming through. And so, you know, like you said, when you started your business, you kind of just dove in head first. Maybe you hired more domestic people early on. So you took some, a little bit slightly bigger risks faster. When I was doing this, it was very calculated risks on that standpoint. I was, I was pretty happy with that um, because it allowed me to continue to grow without having the stress and the burden of having to short, think short term, which I see, you know, kill a lot of entrepreneurs. And even um, as mm-hmm. of late, I made some not as successful hires and those misses create a lot of short term thinking, which is really hard to shake when you're in it, because when you're running something and like you, you know, want to cover the team, you want to continue to grow, you want all these things your focus goes from here to here. And then all of a sudden you can't see the big picture. And when you do that, you start to make, you know, less effective decisions overall. So I've, uh, I've seen both sides of that, but hiring incrementally for me was, uh, was really good. And I remember, you know, initially thinking like, Oh, I can't wait to get off of sales calls. Right. And I tried to hire for that a little too mm-hmm. early. That was a mistake that I did make. And especially with this, because it's a very unique offer, it's, you know, you're talking about credit card points and valuations on travel and all this stuff it's a harder thing for someone to articulate and you're talking to very sophisticated buyers, right? Seven figure, eight figure business owners that are sometimes 50, 60 years old that have been traveling for 40 years. Like they understand the industry better than most sales reps are going to. And so that was another area where it was like, ah, maybe I hired a little too soon on that one, but I should have mm-hmm. hired somewhere else in like the finance department and gotten that off my plate and kept sales. So I'm always still learning the same lessons, but, uh, but yeah, having that kind of incremental process, I think is, uh, is important for me. Did you have 100%. a um, priority list? Like when you were, you know, going from individual owner kind of handling all the tasks, as we say, like wearing all the hats, did you have a priority list? Like, all right, my first hire, I want to get rid of this task and then I want to get rid of this. Or was it just as you felt the business needed? Yeah, it wasn't a clear list like that at all. It was definitely like I would, I would do an, an energy and value audit. And so I, I have a spreadsheet where I still do this all the time. I'll write down like the person's name and the role. I'll either rate it or ask for the rating from the team member and be like on a scale of negative three to positive three, how much energy does this take from you or give you when you're doing it? So just how do you feel? Do you show up and you're excited or is this like, I hate this. And then from a scale of negative three to positive three, I'll then rate how replaceable is this specific item that they're doing? Could someone else do it for the same or or less? And you know, how much value does it add to the company? And so when I have that kind of, uh, spectrum down. And the reason negative three to positive three is because if something's really draining, it's not a zero, it's a negative, it's taking from you, right? And so um, when I go through an audit like that, that is usually where I'll start to find, okay, that next piece needs to be delegated to somebody else. Or obviously, if it can be automated, that usually comes first. But that's usually my delegation process for the next rolls down. So I kind of started doing that early on, where I would look at what are the things that are draining me, taking my time and not really that valuable to the company? Boom. Those are first. And honestly, some of the things I started with, I don't even know if this is the right move or not, but this was my approach was I thought about maintaining my energy as probably the highest asset in the company. So there were some things that were just really draining for me 
that were more valuable that I delegated earlier, right? Whereas there's some things that like I love to do that weren't as valuable and I just had a different approach around that um, because I thought, hey, if I can keep my energy dialed and I show up and I'm excited to do what I'm doing every day, you know, there's a higher chance that this is going to work long-term. If I end up doing all the things that I hate all day, like there's a higher chance I'm going to feel drained about it. I'm not going to show up and feel as present with clients or as good on social media or, you know, giving talks and workshops, like keeping my energy and everything in, yeah, in the right zone is important. Absolutely. And cause you're the leader and guess what, when you show up to a meeting and you have those other team members who are doing their thing, they're going to feed off your energy is contagious. They're going to feed off of your energy. And so if your energy is low because you're doing the thing that you really shouldn't be doing there, guess what's going to happen? Your whole team is going to start feeling it. Even if it's just one notch down, that shit, that shit reciprocates across the whole ship. And, and I, we like to run a tight ship, even though we have a you know, relatively big team, we like to run a big ship. And we just know that if I'm looking over to someone else who's rowing and they're just a little bit down, guess what that's going to do to my rowing? It's just going to affect it that little bit. Multiply that by everybody else who's watching. It's so damn important. I like how you do that for um, for yourself and then for your team members as well, like not to forget about them and also not to forget about yourself, not to forget about your energy. There's also that kicker, though, because you mentioned sales, right, where you're like, ah, fuck, like I, I want to delegate the sales. And that's a huge thing for a lot of creative entrepreneurs, people who are passionate about what they do. But some for some reason, that sales aspect really can bring them down, bring their energy real low, especially when you're getting no after no after no after no. And you mentioned that that was something that you delegated. And kind of my thought is sales is so important to understand because you're always selling. If you're not selling to a new potential client, you're ultimately selling to a new potential hire on why your business is going to be so great for them to come join. Um, and I'm not saying like sleazy selling, but you know, being able to show the value in what you do. And what you can ultimately provide to people. Can you can you talk about that balance, Eli? Of like, when should you give things up that you need to do to do the things that you want to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's an important distinction also to draw of like what what makes you not enjoy the thing as well, and getting clear on that. Because part of why I didn't like sales for a little bit was because I had so much else going on that I just felt like I was too rushed and I couldn't go there. And I knew how important it was. But I didn't, for some reason, I just didn't realize that the other things should be delegated first. You know, it was just a weird mental block, but like handling some of the financial stuff, I was like very, very, very connected to that. And I was spending too much time there. Whereas I could have delegated 80% of that, kept 20% of it. And that could have freed me up to do, you know, to pour more into sales and feel less rushed. And when I do that, I actually enjoy sales a lot more. So mm -hmm. I think part of it comes down to just like the other factors that play into that. Eli, great point about, you know, finding what part of it don't you like? What part of maybe sales is it that is draining your energy? And, you know, that's something that we consider all the time because I, I'm i really not a salesy guy. In fact, I learned how to be salesy. Like I took those sales courses and hired a sales coach and they told you the, the method of looping objections to, you know, oh, well, you know what? I got to talk to my partner about this. Well, get the partner on the call right now. Let's close the deal. Make, you know, buy <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street, buy or die. I just am not about that at all. That's not how we run our sales team. It's not how we go about sales. I just think that's a way to do it, not our way to do it. I think there's a better way. Um, the better way that we like to take is something that you're starting to touch on, and maybe we can connect the dots for our viewers here, is have really great fulfillment so that people that are working with you just start talking about you. 
and they start bringing on referrals. They, they're, they're representing you. They're almost doing the sales for you. But that really comes down to having great fulfillment, yes, and then great marketing. And now one thing that we've been tripling down on over the past couple of years is increasing our marketing and fulfillment to make the sales way easier. Like how can you, you know, for us, for example, the energy draining side of sales for me was trying to almost convince someone and, and explain too much where that that's not what sales is. Uh, that's a way to approach sales. But our way of approaching sales is first off listening to the other person and them already knowing what we do, both in our marketing and the fulfillment, maybe clients, the testimonials, the referrals that people bring in and the sales becomes so much easier. Kind of, it's funny, sales reminds me so much of just dating, <laughs> like relationship advice, where guys need to see the person that they want. Girls need to hear about the person they want. And I thought that always stuck with me because it's like, how can guys position themselves to be heard about? So it's their girlfriends, right? If you want, if you want the the girl, how do you get the girlfriends to start talking about you? Because then the girl that you want is going to be like, who are you talking about? Right? Who is that? That's how we approach sales even like within our business is how can we get everyone else talking about them so our dream client is like, who are you talking about? How can I get in that? You know, it's a, a beautiful game to play. It's where the fulfillment in the marketing side is increased. So the sales becomes way, way easier. What about you? I, I know that, you know, you, we're talking a lot about starting the business, tripling down on that fulfillment, delegating some of that work. What about that transition from getting the work done to then marketing yourself? Yeah, it, for me, it was uh, it, it was an interesting journey because with travel being what the product is, there's kind of some multiple natural benefits built into that. Number one, when I'm traveling, I'm getting to capture content and I'm getting to showcase what I get to do. And maybe I'm going to a conference. Some of the people there might have followed me on social media before and like, holy shit, you flew in like this and you didn't pay for it. And you're staying at this hotel and you didn't pay for it. And you get there. And it's kind of like this laughable conversation. And um, I remember I went to a, a conference in Miami last year. I think it might have been Scammy Systems. And it was like, I didn't realize how many people had seen the stuff that I was doing, which was really cool. And I got there and they're like, dude, you're doing this. I follow this online. It was like a conversation was building. And the exact effect that you were talking about was going down. But that was, that was more from the content side, right? And then there was like one or two people there who had worked with us. And they were kind of like, people would go to them and be like, yo, is this legit? Like, is this really what it looks like it can be? And they're exactly. like, yeah, man, it's really, really cool. And so there was a natural kind of word of mouth built in. And I always think of, of word of mouth as like a, the first litmus test where it's like, if you have clients and they're not talking about you, something's probably slightly off. And if you have clients and they are talking about you, it's like, you know, obviously that's a, it's a referral generator. It's going to turn into revenue, but more than anything, it's like, check, we delivered what we said we were going to deliver because that's what should happen. If you have a good product or service, the people that are the right avatar usually know other people that are also that avatar. And mm -hmm. if you do a good job, they should naturally want to tell other people. And so for me, I see both sides of it. It's like, how do I optimize the business to grow from that? But how do I also use that as like a check engine light to make sure that we're actually delivering the things that we should deliver? Gang, if you're that person who's spending a lot of money on your credit cards each month, but you love to travel, make sure that you're using the money that you're spending on those credit cards in the best way possible. And Eli, our guest here, just announced something pretty incredible. He's giving away his course for free. 
It's typically 50 bucks. He's waiving the cost entirely for our creative entrepreneurship viewers. Take a look at the mini course. It shows you exactly which cards you should be using so that you're leveraging the points in the best way possible. There are some cards that you should not be using and certainly cards that you should be using in today's age. So the link is in the description below. You can also DM uh, Eli directly with the word mini and he will send you access to that course. Dive into that mini course today. And right there, Eli, is a great point for people who even if you are getting started with a business model that's never been done before, that is a framework that you can apply to businesses that have never been done. Do a great job with your fulfillment. Get those clients to start talking about you so that they can either refer people directly to your business so that the sales become real easy. Oh, I already heard about how great you are. I heard about John's whole experience with you. You're fantastic. And that's just going to make your marketing so much easier. So when you go onto your, you know, your video and you're start starting to talk about, oh, well, here's me, how I go about this. And by the way, this is how I've helped three other people do the same exact thing. How I helped John do that and Jane do this, right? Makes the marketing that much more cohesive and easier for people to trust you. And not just, not to mention, not just about sales, but also to follow you, subscribe to you because you're a trustworthy source. It's huge, man. And then, you know, maybe this is a good transition of how you and I started to work uh, more together and, and you ended up you know, becoming a client of V and what was that process like? What were, what were you thinking at that time? Why were you starting to go from that fulfillment focus to now, you know what, I think it's time to start to get into branding and content and, you know, turn this business into a brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, I knew from the get go that eventually once there was some like real legitimacy, the branding play was going to be the next big thing. I mean, just the amount of attention that I was seeing people capture on platforms like Instagram and how that really validated, you know, what the brand stood for and the legitimacy of the service. It was at that point, I just saw, I just kind of clearly saw, I was like, this is super, super important. And I knew with, again, specifically my model, how visual travel can be. I was like, I have to be able to produce better content. And I've, I've traveled like really, really nicely for years using this whole point system. And I have just like, I was kicking myself for how many epic first class flights I took and how many, you know, luxury hotels I stayed at where I didn't capture enough. But I was like, if mm. anyone that was potentially considering doing this saw even out a second of this, they would be like, I'm in. Right. And so that was kind of part of it was the initial driver was like, I just know how much value this is going to create. And that was, again, partially based off of the uh, type of product or service that I'm selling. And so once I recognized that, you know, I, I tried to do a lot of the content creation on my own because I, I do like sharing content. I think it's super fun. That's a part of the business that does generally energize me quite a bit. But I started and like many will find it was a much harder process than I initially thought. The lighting sucked and the audio was terrible. And like I would say something and be like, that sounded really awkward. Like, why is this so difficult? I'll try to edit stuff on my own. And I was spending so much time to the point where I would just get kind of frustrated and be like, maybe I just can't do the content thing. We have to grow the business another way. And so that was uh, that was ultimately a very kind of hopeless place to be for um, for really any entrepreneur and, and really specifically mm -hmm. someone who's like knows the value of what content can bring for the business. And so that was a big reason why I started seeking out solutions was I just knew what this could potentially do. And when I looked at the ROI potential, I was like, if I find two clients from this over the course of the next year, it's an ROI. And then the rest is upside. And I was like, it'd be stupid not to do this. So that was kind of the initial thought process around like just the ROI calculation in my head. I was like, that, that's a no brainer. I love that point. You, you mentioned the word capture. Like I wasn't capturing those moments. And that's something that we talk about all the time where, you know, Gary Vee will say, uh, stop creating, start documenting. Now, I, I hear what he says. Um, we like to balance both creating and, as you say, capturing. 
create and capture are the two things that we always try to do is how can we not just create a, a great piece of content that we've been hot on, we had our cup of coffee, we're, we're feeling yipped up in the morning, and we think this is a good piece of content to do. That's creating, yeah. And then when I'm going and doing the thing, maybe I'm going to an event or I'm working on the fulfillment for my client, how can I just take legitimately anywhere from 12 seconds or under to just capture what's currently happening? Quick selfie. You don't even have to say anything. You, you can do a voiceover later or put some text on it if you want, right? Just quick video angle. Be like, hey, let me let me showcase my client here. Create, capture. But I think the one thing that you're also talking about that is really important for anyone who's considering getting into content to do, and this is really important for those who are in a type of blue ocean, is to provide your voice. And I don't I don't mean just to speak, but to provide your your voice of expertise. For example, travel is a very, very visual industry to be in. So it's easy for you to show the first class experience or the hotel this or the beautiful beach in Croatia, whatever it might be. That's going to get a lot of eyeballs to you. But how do you keep those eyeballs on you? The experience. And that's what if you guys aren't following Eli, the travel guy, I mean, he's all over social media. We'll put his links in the description below. Eli, you do such a great job by saying, like, here's this awesome thing. We all know it's awesome. It's the beach in Croatia. It's the first class flight. Here's how you do it. And all of a sudden, you're bringing that expertise of, and not just how you do it, but how I've done it and how I've helped other people do it. And that becomes a much more relatable standpoint. It becomes trustworthy. It's anyone who is wondering, who is this guy? What does he do? It's like, oh, this is Eli. I feel like I know him and I haven't even met him yet. Right. He's talking about his experience. He's talking about his story. He's talking about all the micro stories that lead up to the macro. You know, it's it's absolutely crucial. Um, and also you're very transparent. And one thing that a lot of people run into is they're they're salesy when they get into their content. People are not opening up Instagram and being like, oh, can't wait to get sold today. Right. They're like, no, I want I want to find something cool. I want to find something inspiring, maybe a little educating. And that's one thing that you you plug in at the end very, very nicely is your service. You don't do it salesy. You don't hide your service, right? You're not acting like you have nothing to sell you to sell to your audience. Even Alex Mosey used to say, I have nothing to sell you. But now he's saying like, no, I kind of do. Like get up to this point and then I'm going to work with you, right? You do it very nonchalantly. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're finding success with your brand and your marketing strategies. What do you find helpful for you in the content creation process now that you have become busier? Um, and even in the beginning, I'm sure you're busy, but what have you found that makes the content creation process easier for you? Yeah, so so there's a couple things. Number one, I got some feedback from people that were just following and they were like, just, you know, kind of signs that I was on the right path. One guy I remember specifically was like, yeah, man, he's like, you do such a great job. He's like, whenever your stories are up, I want to watch all of them because it just feels like I'm looking over your shoulder, like watching what you're doing and be able to kind of get a sense of what this is like. And I see the whole kind of journey from like thinking about the trip to, you know, planning it out to find the best flight deals and hotel deals. And then like, obviously you going on it so he's like, I get this like over the shoulder view. And when he said that, I was like, oh, that's a, that's, that's a really good way to describe how I feel when I watch the people's stories that I want to watch. Mm -hmm. It feels like I'm kind of with them. I'm like in the room with them. I'm like watching things go down, like over the shoulder. And I was like, that's a great vantage point. And so that was initially something that was helpful to get that feedback. And then from there, you know, as I wanted to really ramp stuff up, not necessarily as much like that's specifically really stories on Instagram, but having more reels, shorts, other forms of content. Um, I really had to create a better system around it and having the editor that, that you guys gave and the creative assistant, I mean, he's been absolutely incredible from giving feedback, helping me 
become more effective with, you know, shooting the right angles, the right camera settings, like the lighting. He's giving so much uh, detail to me. It allows me to give him uh, assets that he can work with more. And so beyond that, having that, I mean, that's been the most important piece of the entire process by far. Because once he starts putting stuff out and it looks good and you get feedback and then, you know, people are seeing it and they like it, then you have also like, again, you have uh, validation from the market. You have a sense of confidence about it and you want to do more because you see that it's working. So that'd be the, the second piece. And then the third piece was to start to batch things. Um, for a while, I would shoot like a reel once a day for a little bit. And then I would have to do the camera setup. I'd get the tripod, the whole thing. And then I was like, this is stupid. Why don't I just bring three shirts and like change shirts and then shoot 10 reels on one day. Right. And that, that allowed me to scale some like the talking head type content as well in a way that made it, um, yeah, just easier to batch the whole thing. Huge. And, and by the way, <laughs> two things there. One is it didn't just start working overnight, which I, a lot of people who are starting to get into content, maybe it's an entrepreneur who's like, yeah, I know the content's important. How do I get into this? It ain't going to happen overnight. And that, that was a process, a journey that, you know, we went through uh, when, when you, we were starting your brand is what is going to work, especially when you don't have any brand, any followers at all. How do you get the traction going? How do you start finding those responses? Because, again, it doesn't happen overnight. What was that journey like for you, Eli? Eli? When, when did you first like start and when did you find that traction? How long did it take until you start finding traction with your brand? And I mean, you got a video that hit. You, I mean, you have had multiple videos that hit millions of views. I think one hit 25 million. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We had the 25 million view reel, which is funny because so many people will ask you, how did you create a video that hit 25 million views? And it's like, by not having a plan to try and create a video that hits 25 million views, hmm. right? The idea is that you're going to test a lot of things. You're going to put things out. You're going to find things that work, things that are trending, things that obviously fit for your outcome. And then you're just going to double down on that. And at some point, one of them or many of them might really be successful. And so I think that's literally the strategy that we all need to, to take away. But the way that I thought about content as a whole from like fitting the business model was there was really going to be two main philosophies here. There's going to be one set of kind of videos that was going to be for like reach for, you know, kind of like eye catching, sexy, new awareness, right? That's going to be the epic first class, you know, seat on Emirates where you have the shower and you have the bar and caviar and Dom Perignon and it's $15,000 and you don't have to pay for it. And that's going to be something that's going to be like, wow, that's going to like blow people away. And then they're going to look at the page and then they're going to see a talking head video, which is going to be the how it was actually done, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like something to capture eyeballs and then something to nurture people and having a good mix of those two. I think created a lot of the success because if it was for me, just too much talking head, there's a lot of people on the internet that know this, the point stuff that I'm talking about theoretically, and they can do talking head videos, but they're not living it. And they're not going to do it. And mm -hmm. so when I showcase what it is actually like, and then I showcase how it's done, that creates a really powerful combination for people where it's like the proof is in the pudding and that thing looks really cool. And so that was a strategy I took um, after a few iterations of trying to figure out what would work. And that's been what I still stick with today, you know, really like, 12 to 14 months in from that, from that initial iteration. Reach, nurture, reach, nurture, N nurture, mean, nurture is a marketing term. Uh, for example, uh, it's when you're educating your audience. It's when you're being more relatable with your audience. It's when you get to show a little bit more of your personality or a little bit more of your expertise, reach them with what they're looking to find, nurture them with what is going to keep them around, uh, which is of course the, the people, uh, you know, again, your relatability and your expertise. So from a you know twenty five million view reel that you've had a, a few of it sounds like what kind of response in terms of new clients new followers what 
what did that do for your brand? Yeah, a couple of different things. I mean, it definitely reached a vast new audience. Now, given that I have a pretty specific niche and avatar for someone who's actually qualified to work with us, like they have to be a business owner, they have to be traveling, they have to be US-based, and they have to be spending ideally more than 10 to 15, 20K a month. That's a pretty specific niche. So when you hit 25 million views, it's not like you're picking up a mass amount of those people. But what it did do is it created a lot of engagement, created a lot of new followers. It created a lot of people that are engaging with other forms of content and sharing that. And so it kind of had this like ripple effect. And obviously some of that's measurable and a lot of that's immeasurable. But overall, when the brand started to increase like that and people started to see it and they started to notice, that led to podcast interviews, that led to speaking opportunities, that led to joint venture opportunities. So much so to the fact that we had... Um, Ty Lopez actually recently saw one of our ads and he came in, saw the ad, liked it, checked out the profile, thought everything was cool. Seeing stuff like that legitimizes it in someone, you know, someone's eyes, even to someone who has multiple nine figure companies. And he reached out and not only does he want to work with us as a client, but he also wants to set up a joint venture opportunity. And so having those kinds of assets on your profile, you know, gives you a sense of credibility and status. You know, I also, because of that, I got a speaking opportunity where Damon John was there. So I've got a picture with Damon John on my top, top of my profile. So there's a lot of credibility that was added off the bat. And I would say that was the biggest difference. And it was a noticeable, it was a very palpable, palpable difference. It was like the way people respond to you, good, like it, hate it, or whatever on social media, when you have a really solid brand, and you have a lot of followers, like people respond to you differently than they do as if you have, you know, 1500 followers and you don't have um, any quality, quality content that's really delivering value. So I did see that as a big difference maker. And, uh, and that was, that was probably the, the, the main thing I noticed after a couple of months of paying attention to like, what's different about the business now than what was different about the business before any of this stuff happened. And did you take note from those breakout videos and like, okay, this really worked. Let me try and create more of this. Or did you stay with that kind of organic? I'm just going to, you know, there's no formula for what works. People just kind of like and resonate with certain topics. Yeah, I created a thesis, but I was careful not to make an assumption that what I was assuming was creating that was creating that because that could take me down the wrong path. So I was like, I'm just going to keep creating the content that I think is really good. But what I saw in a couple of the big reels was number one, a really good trending song. This was on Instagram specifically, right? So a trending audio that somehow that audio had some sort of like correlation that was either funny or like felt right with the clip you were showing. And then the other piece was obviously the visual had to be really good. And then lastly, what I found, I think this might be an underrated one, was like the first whatever, like eight words I can show on the screen, that piece, right? And so the, the reel that went viral first was me walking onto an Emirates first class flight. Again, it's a crazy lavish experience. Like most people don't even know that that kind of airplane seat exists. Like half the comments were like, wait, this is on an airplane? Like seriously. And so that was the, the visual. The audio was something around um, something where I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was like, oh, I got 99 problems, but something some, something like that, right? So it's yeah. like, this thing where like, you're saying you have a problem, but then you're walking on a first class flight. And then it's it, the caption was something like, when the flight attendant becomes my therapist or something like that, right? So there's some humor involved, controversial, because then a lot of people are commenting on like, you clearly don't have any problems because you're flying first class and like, you don't know what it's like to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you know, I personal stories aside, that was really good for the engagement of the post. So there was a, a, a trend that I kind of broke into three steps, which was great trending audio, match with a good visual, and the right set of words that people will see when they're scrolling. And I think that recipe is pretty successful overall. 100%. That's, it, it's just, that's hooking people. 
you know, and, and for short form content, short form is basically, uh, I think Mr. Beast was the one who said this, your short form content can just be hooks. Like just think about hooking people. Cause that's really all the time that you have to do anyways, is just hook people in, get them in the door. And as you're mentioning, maybe that's when you bring in the other type of content that's going to give them the value so that they stick around and they bookmark it. And they, they, they maybe look at your profile, uh, the link in your profile to say, maybe I want to work with this guy. Uh, because I mean, here's the thing, two things. One is if you don't know exact, if you are that person who's a business owner, us based spending a good amount of money on your credit card each month and you're looking to travel, maybe you just love traveling or you want to travel for business, whatever the case might be. Take a look at what Eli is doing. It's absolutely incredible. I've been using some of the tactics that you've, you know, you've shared with me and it's just been extremely helpful because I am that person as well. Highly recommend it. It's so it's so crude. I mean, otherwise you're just leaving money on the table. It's like, you're already spending the money. Might as well get the points and use the points. So uh, the other thing that I think is really important is you talked about content leading to credibility. It got you onto speaking stages with Damon, shout out Damon. It got you onto the potential joint ventures with big name people with massive communities. This is the type of credibility that is not just a nice to have, but a need to have for when you are tapping into a blue ocean, because if you don't have a competitor yet, and not just you, Eli, but for those who are listening, if you're trying to get into a blue ocean opportunity, if you don't have a competitor yet, you will one day. And when you wake up that one day and you're like, holy shit, who's that trying to do the same thing that I'm doing? That you're going to get hairs raising on your back. You're going to get maybe a little angry. What are you going to do before that time to make sure that you are light years ahead of that person so they don't even have a mother effing chance. And that's something that maybe I'll just speak to my story a little bit, which is when I was getting started, video editing is not new. Video editing is not a blue ocean. There were many people doing this, but I saw the opportunity to, I, I was looking at their websites. I was looking at their services. I was in, I was looking at what they were doing fulfillment wise. And I literally thought to myself, I'm going to fucking crush those guys because I just knew there's an angle that I can take to be light years ahead, even though I was starting behind. And then that was a part of my game too, is I wanted to have as much credibility as possible. I wanted to work with more people, as many as I could in the very beginning, so that it was super clear, this is the person that you ought to be working with. And when it comes to that engagement that you're getting, that is how you separate yourself from the competition. When they are looking at your profile and you have about 80,000 followers on Instagram, millions of views on your reels, you, you just don't wake up with that. And if that's the barrier to entry where your competitor is doing that type of results, both marketing and fulfillment wise, making the sales very easy for them, you're going to have a hard game to play, which makes it tactical for the entrepreneurs looking at blue oceans to be like, guess what my guess what my next steps are. I'm going to listen to Eli. I'm going to tap into this blue ocean. Maybe maybe make a sound judgment. Maybe look at my my two train uh, approach here so that I understand what to be uh, hopping to and when to be hopping to it. I'm going to be delegating that fulfillment to someone who can really get the job done well. So people are talking about me when I get into the marketing. That's just when it's a matter of creating distance from me and any other option out there. I mean, shit, man, I could talk to you all day. I I'd love to talk a little bit more of the personal side of things. I mean, you know, we could talk business all day long, of course, but I, I kind of want to talk about the personal side because the that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is because we didn't want just to, to focus on business all the time, meaning like the profit side, the business growth, but also the passion side. And, and obviously travel is a huge part of what you do, but instead of just talking about the, the glamorous positive things, 
we like to be real with our audience. They know it. If if you watch our podcast, we are not holding anything back. Could we could we kind of flip the script a little bit and talk about maybe some of the the dark moments uh, of entrepreneurship, whether it's directly correlated to your business or just personal shit that you've gone through? Maybe you know, being like a younger guy, you're not a teenager by any means, but you're you're someone who's starting to develop your career and set forth a life that you're looking to have. What what are some of those darker moments that you've gone through that maybe you're you're willing to share with folks? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot, to be honest. Um, and I would say on an underlying basis, it often kind of comes down to handling uncertainty. And I mean, generally, we think we all have like a, a plan, right? And there's a direction and a vision. But when you really feel back, you, you kind of realize that none of the stuff that you're thinking about is guaranteed, none of it's certain at all. And there can become a time where like, you're growing your business, you're doing all this stuff and, you know, you've been working hard and maybe you haven't been taking the best care of like your health, you know, whether it's mentally, physically, your energy's bits just been depleted. And for me personally, I've had multiple iterations call it burnout or call it something else where it's like, you're just shot, man. You're just drained. You have no energy left. And then you, your, your mind just kind of keeps spinning around all these uncertainties that can go on. Well, this could happen. This could happen. What if this happens? Ultimately, nothing's certain. Like even if you have a job, that's not certain either. So there's no real way to avoid that no matter what path you take. Even if you work for the government, that's, I guess, more certain than anything else. But, hmm. you know, there could be a change in the, the policy that removes your job or whatever. So I think at the end of the day, um, that's something that's just part of more of like the human experience than it is being an entrepreneur. But an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur will magnify that a lot. And so I think um, one of the things I learned through that is just really um, – paying attention to the warning signs because before I had like this whole um, kind of like series of panic attacks and like really intense periods where it was like kind of uh, it's almost like derealization where you can't even tell like what's real or not. And it's not a fun place to be. It's yeah, really not too. a fun place to be. You've had that before too. Yeah. I, we, we've yeah. connected a little bit on that before, just even before this pod, but yeah, go for it. Yeah. And when you're, when you're in that and then you're trying to also recognize like, Oh my God, I have to be responsible for a team and a business. And like, I can't even tell what's going on right now. It's not a very fun place to be. And, and that again, usually my, my hypothesis on that is like, there's some, some missed warning signs going on before that, that you just rode right past and you weren't paying attention to, and you didn't look at the check engine line. And then all of a sudden it's like, poof, you know, stuff happens. So, um, so yeah, navigating some of that, but that's that's the real stuff, you know, of of kind of just being a person, but also doing that while running a business uh, mm -hmm. can add some additional complexity. But then on the other side of that, man, there's a lot of like confidence, and there's a lot of um, yeah, just like this certainty of knowing that you can kind of get through anything too. So I think there's there's both sides to that coin, uh, but that would be some of the, the darker moments I'd say for sure, and and really just like you said, not knowing you know, is there going to be competitors that come up and is AI going to create software that's going to completely eliminate my industry? Like what's going to happen? There's so many unknowns right now. So you've got to be able to just handle the, you know, handle the current moment and do the best you can with that. And that's really, that's really it. Fucking amen, brother. I, to I totally hear you on multiple fronts there. I think it's, you know, us as an entrepreneur, we started the podcast by even saying something about being naive can be very helpful for you. But if that naive mindset continues you're you may not be paying attention to those other things that are crucial for not just your business but for your own health right which typically takes a back seat when it comes to starting that business of yours right shit man that's again this is just some of the stuff that people don't talk about online and we just like to be real and authentic and and just kind of kind of break a little bit of that naive 
naivete, naivete, what was the word? Uh, naivete. There's even something, Max, I wanted to share on that too. Yeah. I had um, on the health side because I'm traveling a lot, right? And that's like part of the brand. Yeah. And so it created this really funny paradox, particularly because health or excuse me, traveling can be super fun. But when you're doing a lot, if you're not really taking care of yourself, it can, you know, it can definitely have an impact on your health, especially if you're growing business too. Like right. traveling around the world, you're changing time zones, you're not sleeping as much, all that stuff. You're in a new country, you want to like eat the pizza, you know? And so there was this really funny feedback loop, speaking of content and the personal side. So there's this uh, trend that went around Instagram called Slammer Time. And the guy who created it, he's actually just launched an airline. He's this total badass. He's like a Richard Branson type guy from England, acquired a bunch of airplanes, was a former investment banker and is launching an airline, like crazy guy. Like the balls to do that is, is insane. And he started this trend where he would just drink champagne. I don't know how he does this. He travels every day and he just drinks like eight glasses of champagne, doesn't work out, doesn't sleep well, works every day. He's an anomaly, <laughs> but he created this trend. And so I would do this and Tommy would do this where whenever you were on a first class flight, you would just basically get the champagne and you chug it, right? And sometimes you're having multiple of those. And what would happen is the engagement on my stories would go through the roof because people thought it was awesome. So then every time I got on a plane, I'd be getting messages like, where's the slammer? Where's the slammer? So then I'm taking the champagne and throwing them back. And then I get to the next destination. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm exhausted. Like, I did not want to drink right now. But I got like three new clients from like all the engagement that was generated from that story. So it was kind of a funny paradox and trade off. Oh. So I toned it back a little bit. But uh, that was kind of a funny way to tie the two together. And I know some people are listening to this and they're like, dude, just fucking slam the champagne, brah. And you're like, no, brah, I don't think you realize I've been I've been lacking sleep immensely starting this business, doing all the things that it takes to run a business, start a business and and just wait till you're in my shoes. You know, uh, you know, it's classic scenario of, you know, try walking a mile in someone's shoes before you before you try to give them advice mm-hmm. um, or totally. feedback. Hmm. Well, Eli, I mean, listen, man, I really appreciate your time and, and I, I want to respect your time and the viewers time. I think we we went above and beyond uh, what it takes to to take your business from a blue ocean experience and and to actually get tactical with yourself to understand financially. What do you need to do? Is it that two train approach? Next step. What about the fulfillment? How can I actually serve these people better than my competitors, both on the fulfillment side and even on the marketing side? How can I stand out? How can I make our brand the go-to solution in our industry and ultimately caring for yourself along the way. Don't forget to do that, that judgment test. And I love that, that question of where's my energy at is between negative three and positive plus three. Fantastic tactics, man. Thank you so much for being on here. If you guys are interested in, you know, Eli's offer, I'm just going to do a big shout out for you again, because I've gone through it myself and found incredible results. If you're already spending all that money, if you are that business owner, you are us based, don't leave that money on the table. Use it for your travel. And it doesn't have to be international travel. It could be domestic travel. Maybe you want to go to an event. Maybe you want to go see team members. Maybe you want to go see a client. Use that travel points. And and <laughs> Eli allows you to do it really smoothly, really easily. So you don't have to be sifting through the seemingly unlimited amount of information on the internet. And it just makes it super tactical for you. So Eli, thanks so much. Eli, the travel guy. Find him anywhere on socials. Thank you, Max. I appreciate that. And for anyone listening, if you do want to get access to our mini course to get started with anything, you can just go to Instagram at Eli Travel Guy. Just DM me the word mini, M-I-N-I. We'll send it over to you. It's normally $50. We'll waive that for you, get you get you set up there. And it's going to cover some of the fundamentals and ways to get started with, with how to maximize uh, credit card points for free travel. Um, whether you're a business owner or not, even you can do these things. But Max, Jack, appreciate you guys having me on. This has been a blast. 
and looking forward to hearing more.